o kamanu o o i mālama, a he nani ko hulu kelei ia. Mu ki ki ana oe i ka lehua, ka he ana oe i ka nui manu. The words from this traditional mele allude to the feeding habits of our feathered friends as well as romantic liaisons. Today, we'll focus on the ingenious ways Hawaiian birds use their specialized beaks. Belina Mai. Welcome to Kaleo Kaulua. Our current season of Kaleo Kauluau highlights our deep connections with our avian cousins, the native birds of Hawaii. All season long, members of a group called Ahui Manu will be joining us to share about this connection between Kanaka and Manu. Ahui Manu is a group of people dedicated to our collective recollection and reaffirmation of our ancient and contemporary bonds with the Manu people, the native birds of Hawaii Nei. With each episode, our meakipa, our guests, will lift up the names, characteristics, and places that are associated with particular native bird species, including their appearance in an oli that's composed to celebrate each one and their relationships with life forms, mauka and makai. Many of the birds are grouped together by their superpowers that each meakipa will introduce. Today, we have the privilege of welcoming Patrick Hart and Lisa Kapono Mason to share about the superpower called nuku, with special attention to the different shapes of nuku or bills of birds such as palila, kivikiu, anianiao, alawahio, iivi, akiapolaau, alala, akekee, and akepa. Drew, will you please introduce Patrick to our listeners? Patrick Hart is a professor and chair of the Department of Biology at UH Hilo. He began living and working with Hawaiian birds as a graduate student at Hakalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge, and he's currently the principal investigator of the lab called the Listening Observatory for Hawaiian Ecosystems, LOHE. Students in this lab work on a variety of issues relating to the ecology and conservation of our, of our Hawaiian birds, with a particular focus on the use of bioacoustics to improve the way that we monitor trends in their distribution and abundance. Patrick also hosts a weekly podcast called Manu Minute on Hawaii Public Radio, and he's actively involved in Ahui Manu. Lei, would you please introduce our other meakipa? Hi, hiki no. Lisa Kapona Mason is from Hilo, Hawaii, and is currently a master's student at the University of Hawaii at Hilo Tropical Conservation Biology and Environmental Science Program. Her thesis work involves characterizing the vocalizations of palila, a critically endangered Hawaiian finch, and investigating how palila population decline over the last 60 years has affected the vocal culture of these rare birds. Aloha, Pat and Lisa. We are so pleased to have you here today on our podcast. We're really looking forward to what you both have to share about our Manu friends. So mahalo. Aloha, I'm Lisa, and mahalo for having us today. And I'm Patrick Hart. Mahalo to both Aloha. of you. Aloha. We're really interested in hearing what you have to say, like Drew mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, well, today we're here to talk about a special superpower that all birds have, and that's the superpower of their bills or their beaks. And I've always told the students that I work with at UH Hilo that if you want to know what a bird does for a living, you just look at its its bill. Because the bill tells so much about the bird itself and its relationship with its environment. And then I wanted to pass it over to Lisa after a few minutes, hopefully no more than that. I want to just start off talking about bird bills and how 
they really represent and illustrate this long relationship or this long history they have with their environment here in Hawaii. And so to really talk about that, you need to go back to the very beginning of birds here in Hawaii, which is really as the islands came out of the ocean millions of years ago, soon after they they emerged, they started to be colonized by birds. And as, as seeds from plants from around the world came here and became established, birds, land birds followed soon after, but just very small groups because the islands are so isolated. So many birds that you see around the world never made it here. But in particular, about 7 million years ago, one group of birds that we now call the honey creepers, they were a small flock of finches then, very similar to the it's like the house finch that you might see flying by. I think people call them papaya bird sometimes. Just kind of a nondescript bird with a thick finch-like bill. And they probably got blown off course in a storm about 7 million years ago and landed on what we now call the island of Kauai, which at the time was right about where we're sitting here in Hilo. It's, it was where the big island is now. It was a lot taller then, a lot larger and it's moved north over time and sank. But there were some forests here, not forests of Ohia, but forests of other things because Ohia didn't come in for a few million years after the first honey creepers arrived. But there was some plants here and this bird, these birds found these, these forests that were not, the, the resources, the nectar and the fruits and the seeds weren't being used by other birds. And so they started foraging and using the bills that they had from where they came from, which was Asia. And they were very, um, these types of bills that they would have used, we call them very generalist. They can eat all kinds of different food resources. They can eat fruits. They can drink nectar from flowers. They can eat insects off of branches. And we still have some bird bills like that. It's basically a it's just a thick bill. If you see a sparrow outside your window, something like that, you know, very generalist bill. But as the islands, new islands started forming south below Kauai, Oahu came out, Maui Nui, all the, all the different volcanoes of Maui Nui, later the big island. They started forming all this potential, all, all these new habitats for the birds to move into. And so over time, over the next 7 million years, they, through isolation, isolation is what's required for speciation to happen from one species to become another over time. They start using all these different resources that were available and they grew differently from each other because they were isolated and they never, their populations never mixed genetically. So they could become new species. And each new species reflected the particular resources that it used from the environment. Um, so some, so over time, some of these original flock of finches that we call the honey creepers now, some got bills that were, um, some kept their bills that were very generalist and could eat a large variety of fruits. Others evolved to to be more specialized on certain resources that were available in the environment. So for example, I'll start naming some birds right now <laughs> for you. For example, what we call the Nihoa finch and the Laysan finch. They're found only on the islands, at least 
historically of Laysan and Nihoa, they had very generalist bills, can eat a variety of fruits and seeds and nuts and grasses and insects. Um, another one of the birds that has a similar bill like that is one that Lisa, who's going to be talking about it in a little bit, is the palila. It's a finch a finch-like bill, but its bill was perfectly adapted for foraging on mamane pods, which um, she may talk about in a little bit. Um, another bird um, that we call the kivikiu, or the Maui parrot bill is another name for it. Um, it has one of the most unusual bills in the world, where it has this long, thick, curved upper bill. We call it the, the upper mandible. And a, and a shorter, stouter one. And it's, it uses this bill for, for foraging for giant grubs that live in the bark of native trees, all kinds of native trees like pilo and kava'u and ohia, um, all kinds of different trees in the forest. Um, and then there's a whole group of birds that have short um, I'm, I'm sorry, longer but thin bills that are more better adapted for foraging the way a warbler might forage in North America where they can usually glean insects off of leaves and things like that. So those would be birds like the ani-aniao, which is found only on, on Kauai now. It's a small yellow honey creeper. Uh, another one would be the... Um, Alawahio, which is found only on Maui now. It's a pretty little yellow bird, and, and both of them have shorter, narrow bills that they mostly get insects, but they can also get fruits. And so I could keep giving examples, but I guess what I'm, and I, I will give some more examples here, but the point I'm trying to get across is when you look at the bills of birds today, they're a reflection of millions of years of just close association with their environment. Oftentimes, the environment has changed so much and we don't even have some of the plant species or animal species that they may have foraged on that that, that bill evolved for. And so what we see is like this reflection of this long history of them being here. And so they're just, it, it really, it's just this, picture into just the deep past of Hawaii is the way I see it when you look at, at the bill of a bird. And that's one thing that makes it so, I don't know, it's to me, it, it really, it's one of their superpowers is the way it just reflects their, the way that they interact with their environment. Um, and, and their environment affects them as well. So other birds, just to give a few more examples, we have birds that are what's known as the sickle bills. And they have these long, um, curved bills that look like, um, well, sickles, I guess. And they have co have close co-evolutionary relationships with a whole family of flowers that are found only here in Hawaii. That And they evolved together where the plant slowly increased the curvature of its flower uh, corolla tube to fit the shape of the bird's bill. And so they both grew curved together. Um, over millions of years, really. So, so the birds would be like the eevee, for example. It's a beautiful red bird with an orange curved bill. Uh, the mamo, which we don't have anymore, was even bigger than the eevee. <clears throat> the black mamo and the Hawaii mamo 
much bigger than the Eevee, and they would feed on much larger flowers, most of which we don't even have anymore today. They've gone extinct. But when you see the bill of an Eevee, it's curved like that to fit the shape of flowers that we don't, many of which we don't even have. And so it's showing just this, this again, this history of, of the past uh, of Hawaii that's coevolutionary history. So there's a lot more, there's, there's a lot more examples I could give, but um, yeah, that, that's one, that's one reason that makes me excited to study birds is, is it's not just the bird, but you're looking at at the way the environment has shaped the bird when you, when you look at this, you know. That's a beautiful thought that you're looking into, into history as you just look at this mm. one part of the bird. Yeah. Some of these plants are only found in certain areas and the birds would only evolve in certain places. And so they, that's how they even reflect that place, you know, even more clearly is certain plants are only found in just very localized, you know, even probably in the past because they need certain types of rainfall and in temperature to grow. Very but specific. Very specific, yeah. Um, although that has changed for sure because in the past, many of these species were, were much more common and widespread than they are now, you know. Due to loss of habitat and... Exactly, yeah. Um, just, yeah, human agriculture, loss of habitat, uh, the effects of climate change, the effects of... Uh, introduced species, you know, things like that have affected the the abundance of the birds across the state. Yeah, I I love that background and the the story that you just shared, Pat, because it really does tell us how important it is that we think about um, our places as a whole. We're not just looking at our birds as as being these isolated components, um, but we think about them being in active relationships with with the forest and, and with the plants that they they select for, and and in some ways the plants are selecting for those birds too, right? It's it's really beautiful mm -hmm. um, relationship there. And one way that I think about what you just shared is. Um, how specialized the diet or the feeding is of the bird, that would indicate maybe how specialized its beak could be, right? So you see these specialist feeders having kind of these more robust, oddly shaped or like functionally mm -hmm. unique um, bills compared to generalists or birds that eat kind of any kind foods. And they're maybe have a little bit more of a simple structure to their bill. So that's kind of one way to think mm -hmm. about that too. So, um, and I love the examples of Palila and Q. and Palila have these super strong, robust, thick bills that they use to um, tear open the fibrous pods of the mamani tree. And that is one of their primary food sources up on Mauna Kea. So if you want to go and visit Palila up on Mauna Kea, you can go to the west side upland forest and just hunker down under mamani tree. And I'm sure you'll see a Palila at some point feeding on those beautiful green pods that hang from, from the trees. And... Um, one thing I love about Palila and the way that they eat is that they're just so intent on getting that pod open. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to rip it open, but it's <laughs> they're really tough. Um, and they do like the green ones, not the brown ones. Uh, so, you know, they sit there and they really work that that pod open and then they will mash up the... Um, 
the bean of of the pod and they're super messy eaters and that that <laughs> little mamane mess will get, be, get all over their face and they'll spend time them wiping their bill like on the branches and they're just so cute to watch so i hope that everyone gets to <laughs> see palila feeding and using that very powerful bill that they're really well known for and um they have these really dark colored bills to this strikingly mm. black bills and it matches the the black mass that they have on their on their face and so you know you know a palila when you see it they're very striking in their color yeah and, and oh sorry and they're are they the only birds who are able to eat mamane they are they mm. eat mamane um pretty much exclusively in that community up there yeah to other animals it the mamane is toxic mm. so yeah, they have almost an exclusive food source in Mamane. So hopefully if we bring back our Mamane forests more than we're already doing, there's great work being done up, up on Mauna Kea to help to um, rebuild and support our forests there. But if we can um, continue to do that work and relieve some of the other pressures, then um, Palila, I think, has a really strong shot to come back. Side note, there maybe you're familiar with the Olelono Eao about the Mamane ring of around Mauna Kea? Do you know that one? Yeah, I think it was like Queen Emma and the the re, the the lay, lay the garland of Mamane. Yeah. It was so abundant, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I should have looked that up. It was in my mind at one <laughs> time. Even still, if you look up at Mauna Kea from the lowlands, from Richardson's, we have a lay of gorse now, which yeah. um, you can see the yellow gorse flowers. But at certain times of the year, we actually still do still do have a lot of mamane up there and you can see when they're all flowering, you can see a yellow lei from a distance of the mamane. One thing I just wanted to add to what Lisa said about the, the mamane pod. So we have two trees that are in the bean family that are dominant trees here in Hawaii. And, and one is the mamane and it's in the higher elevation forest. And the other of course is the koa. And they both have these large bean-like pods. And the koa also had a bird that was specialized on foraging on its pods way back in the day. And we call them the koa finch. There were two kinds of them. We call them, one was much bigger. It was the greater koa finch. And now, and there's a lesser koa finch. And they went extinct, unfortunately, probably in the, by the 1920s or so. But they were specialized, their bills were specialized just like the palila but they were especially they're actually a bit bigger bill and they would sit on the pod of a mamane or, or on a koa excuse me and rip the pod open and pull out the koa seeds mostly when they were green and eat the green koa seeds just like the palila eats the um, the green mamane seeds and so we had those specialized bills again on these really abundant trees in the bean family, but unfortunately we only have one of the birds left that mm. specialized on them. We've lost the other one. Big, beautiful orange, uh, at least the greater koa finch was really large. I think it was a little bit bigger than the palila and, and a, an orangish brown color, very pretty, at least the males were. So. I wonder I wonder if the uh, Nihoa finch or the Laysan finch would mm. learn how to use any of these trees again, or if they would be able to because they're all somewhat related. Is their diet similar where they are? Because those are the lower um, islands, right? Yeah. I mean, as far as 
elevation and stuff. So maybe they used to be found more widely and, and they're only left on those islands oh. now. And they are fairly generalist, so they will eat a wide variety of food. So I would not be surprised if they would start foraging on coapods if they had the opportunity. Something to think about with possible translocations in the future, if that's something that's on people's radar. But that that idea is kind of out there. <laughs> I also like that you brought up QVQ. QVQ on Maui, and um, they have this interesting behavior when they're foraging in the kanavao plants. They're looking for these grubs, like Pat said, and they're at times looking for these grubs in the fruits of the plant. And so they will hop around the fruiting plants and they will actually uh, bite down on the fruit. And in biting down, they leave this cool mark on the fruit. It almost looks like, I've had it described to me by some biologists on Maui, it looks like a Star Trek symbol, like an upside down <laughs> a chevron. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like QVQ's calling Their card. signature. <laughs> saying, oh, there could potentially be food here. I might come back, right? And so when they're looking for QVQ in the forest, they're they're looking for the the signs of foraging. Mm -hmm. And it's that really unique bill shape that right. leaves that mark on the fruit. And I feel like we can't talk about bird beaks in Hawaii without talking about the Akiapolao, which has one of the most unusual bird beaks in the world. There's nothing else like it. They call it the Swiss army knife of, of bird bills. And so we used to have at least four birds and it's, we'll call them the heterobill families where the, the upper mandible, the upper bill is much longer than the lower one. And there were at least three nukupu'us. Um, and then we had the akiapolaau and the nukupu'us have all apparently gone extinct, but their, their lower bill was um, curved, but about half the length of its upper bill. But the Akiapolaau is, it uses its lower bill. It's not, its lower bill isn't curved. It's, it's straight, short and stout. And the upper bill is long and curved and very thin and, and bendy. You can just bend it with your fingers like a piece of wire if you're holding onto one and they don't seem to mind. Um, but anyways, they use that, that thick lower mandible when they forage, they open up their mouth real wide and they pound that lower mandible on the tree limb like a woodpecker. And you can hear them in the forest. That's bop, 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 That's often how you find the Akiapolaau. And then it, it excavates a hole in the, in the branch. And then once they've uh, uncovered a grub, they, all these big grubs from these beetle larvae, these cerambicid beetles, they're called, they live in the branches, usually semi-dead branches or, but anyways, once they expose that grub, then they move that lower bill out of the way and they take that long curved upper bill and insert it into that hole that they just dug and spear the grub and pull it out with that upper bill. And then, um, and then they're these huge grubs, they can be an inch long or more sometimes and they swallow it whole afterwards. And the Akiapolaau sometimes is called our Hawaiian honey creep, um, Hawaiian, uh, they call it Hawaiian uh, woodpecker. <laughs> woodpecker yeah. It is a Hawaiian honey creeper Sometimes called too. the Hawaiian yeah. woodpecker. <laughs> the Hawaiian woodpecker, yeah. So yeah. And where would you that... find the Akiapolaau? So one place I know that um, 
a lot of locals go to um, look for them uh, is up at the uh, Pu'o'o Trail off the of Saddle Road, mm-hmm. the slopes of Mauna Loa and the lower slopes of Mauna Kea, pretty much on both sides. Um, there's there's a few known individuals that seem to like the Kipuka um, off of the highway there. Uh, and then Kipuka 21, I think there have been some sightings, at least that's what had been called for years and years. Um, but we know it now as the Kaulana Manu mm-hmm. uh, birding trail. And I guess one of the best places to see our Hawaii birds is up at Hakalau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right up above where we're sitting right now. If you just draw a straight line between UH Hilo and the top of Mauna Kea, and you go up to about 6,000 feet in elevation, that's that's Hakalau. And, and a lot of the new koa plantations that many people have helped over the years plant at Hakalau to restore the, the forest that's been degraded after over a century of cattle ranching, those trees, those koa trees are already gotten really big in the last 20 years and they're great habitat for Akiapolaau. And so they seem to be rebounding and their populations are actually increasing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a direct result of what humans have, all the great work that, that people have done over the years, you know, volunteering to plant trees, you know, we're seeing real results mm-hmm. here. That's good news. Yeah. That's fantastic news. <laughs> but we can't talk about bird beaks without also mentioning one of our most iconic Manu, uh, EEV. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're probably one of the most sought after uh Hawaii birds to see are our many friends because um, they still are in numbers um, that are high enough where it, it can be easy to find them in some of the forests that we were just talking about. Um, and you won't just see one, you, you'll probably see four or five, you know, flying around in, in the trees. And so they have these beautiful salmon colored bills that are slightly curved to match the shape of our um, some of our Hawaii plants, uh, our ohavai and some of our mm-hmm. mints. So ohavai being our clermontia or, you know, bellflowers, lupiliads, and there's many, many kinds. But um, if you were to look at the flowers and, and then to look at the shape of the EEV bill, they almost perfectly match each other in such a beautifully mm-hmm. perfect way. So, but EEV is, I think, one of my favorites to go and watch. Even some of our smaller honey creepers, like the amakihi, which we haven't mentioned yet, we often think of it as having a generalist bill, but it's got kind of a, a down curved bill. It's not nearly as large and curved as the EEV, but there's lots of flowers that seem to be adapted to fit bills similar in shape similar to them, like. Like Lisa mentioned, the mints, the ma ohi ohi, for example. It's a smaller, if you go to mints in most other parts of the world, they don't have curved flower tubes, but here they do. And that's because they're pollinated. They, they require pollination by the birds that they've lived with for millions of years, right? They both provide services to each other. The birds uh, pollinate the plants and then the plants, of course, give the birds nectar for food. And so we have the Maohi, oh, we've got the Ohello, right? The Ohello is commonly mm. um, visited by these birds. They take the nectar from the Ohello that we all um, love to eat when we go for a little hike up in <laughs> on the lava fields. But if you sit by an Ohello bush for very long, and if it's in flower, there's a good chance you'll see a, an Amakihi 
come and sip the nectar from its flowers. And when it's doing that, it's doing the plant a favor too. Yeah. By, by moving its pollen around to the different, you can even, when you catch some of these birds as we do over time, and, and Lisa's part of this, you hold them in your hand and you can look at their, their foreheads and they're oftentimes covered with the pollen from many of our native Hawaiian plants, usually the ohia trees, but also other, we had a student in our lab that was, you'd catch the bird and you'd, you'd dab its forehead with a peach, piece of scotch tape and you could get pollen from all the different plants. You, you could take the scotch tape and then put it under the microscope and then identify all the different types of pollen from the plants that that bird had visited in the last couple hours. And so you can see. Sort of a roadmap. Yeah, exactly. Of where it's, where it's been going through the forest. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about EEV too is that um, to the, your point earlier about um, having lost some of our endemic plants, that um, in comparison to uh, specimens that are in collections at the Bishop Museum, there was a study that showed that over time, EEV has actually been losing some of that curvature in its mm -hmm. bill, which I don't know if we're going to continue to see or not, but um, it is telling of how that bill curved in the first place, right? Those, those relationships. So the plants that it that it evolved with have become so rare that it's it's forging on different plants that mm -hmm. aren't as curved, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's how it's, yeah, it's changing. Do you have a particular story, a personal story that you um, might want to share in relation to any of these birds with the bill superpowers that you mentioned? Yes. So I've been really fortunate more recently to have been able to spend time with our alala. Um, up in Volcano that are in human care at the Keho Bird Conservation Center. And um, just watching our alala um, feed and also play. And um, alala are really intelligent and it's becoming more known how they use tools. And so um, using their really large bills, they're able to pick up sticks of all different sizes and, and select sticks to perform um, really complicated tasks. And so we can see that um, their their bill is so important in them being able to express that their super high cognitive abilities and to kind of show us what they're capable of, um, which is really fun to see. Yeah. Some recent research came out that showed that the Alala's, there's one other bird that's well known to use tools, and that's the New Caledonia crow. And um, their bill, the, the bill of the alala is similar in shape. And so it seems predisposed or almost evolved to, use, to be able to more efficiently use tools compared to other birds, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want to be too romantic here. You know, when you think if you're a bird, what do you have at your disposable, disposal to protect yourself and to defend your, your area. And a lot of times it is, it is their build. They, they can, um, mm -hmm. peck and, and chase and, you know, do some harm with, with those large, strong bills too. I know with Palila, if there's a, a, a youngin in the family group and it's time for that bird to go and, and move off, um, they'll get chased 
uh, sometimes by the male and they'll get pecked. Uh, so, you know, it's definitely a warning sign. Um, so that's kind of a first line of defense and also some cases a motivation, motivation, <laughs> motivator, <laughs> motivator. Yeah. They also use their bills. They have all birds have what's called a preening gland, the uropygial gland. And it's a little bump on their rump, basically, that secretes <laughs> oil. And it's preening, it comes out of the preening gland and they take their bills and every bird does this and they reach back and they get the oil in their bill and then using their bill, they spread it out all over their feathers, all across their body. So if you see a bird, we call it preening, um, oftentimes they'll just be sitting in a tree and they'll spend a significant amount of time every day preening. And the reason they do that is to spread these oils over their, over their plumage over their feathers and the oils seem to keep the feathers supple it makes them last longer it makes them less susceptible to to um, having bird lice or other ectoparasites we call them little parasites they might live on the outside of their body and so that's another common thing that the birds use their bills for that we don't often really think of and it's really important so one main thing is they get food for sure it's their main way of getting food but the other is they use it for preening Regardless of the shape of their bill. And yes. Regardless of the shape, they still use it. They also use their tongue. And birds have, you could have an, a whole other episode on bird tongues. Super weird. <laughs> but they do use the tongue as part of that as well. So depending on the shape of the bill, they use their tongue. I like their variably. thumb. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, they use the tongue and they, they'll press it against different parts of the bill to, to manipulate things in different yeah. ways. The Eevee's tongues, when they stick them out, they have these little like brush-like structures at the end of them to help mm -hmm. like suck up that nectar from the flowers. Yeah. Really weird looking. A lot of our honey creepers, not all of them, but a lot of them have t uh, tubular tongues. So they're kind of curved over on themselves. It's a little bit like a straw. Mm. And then they have brushy tips. And both of those uh, adaptations help to suck up nectar, sort of like by capillary action. You know, like if you stick a tiny little straw into a cup, some of the material, some of the liquid moves up a little bit, you know. So a lot of our Manu friends are, you know, are called today by names that um, were, I guess, given based on the sounds that, that the birds make. And um, one bird actually does not have its name um, based on its sounds, but actually on its bill function and shape, and that is the akeke. Mm -hmm. And so the akeke, I mean, I guess they do have a call that still goes akeke, akeke, but um, that ke is referring to the shape of their of their bill mm -hmm. and the kind of crooked cross bill nature that they, they seem to have too. And that would, the akeke would be mm -hmm. most similar to, um, I guess, our akepa here. Yeah, which also has a crossed bill. It's also a crossed bill. Yeah. And what function does that serve? Agility in eating, perhaps, uh, foraging. That would be my guess. Yeah, they like if um, they like to forage on the liko of the ohia trees, right? So they're on the outer branches, and somehow their bill is crossed. And if they can get it into that the tight, oh. tight liko, and then they just open their mouth, it helps open up mm -hmm. those leaves, those tightly packed leaves, better. Mm. And then inside are usually hiding caterpillars and spiders that they can eat. So other crossbills around the world use their bills similarly, but it's interesting because ours aren't related to them, but they've sort of have similar adaptations over time. 
And that, that really reflects their place in the forest, which is the branch, the outer parts of the trees. You never see these birds on the trunk. You never see them on the branches or very rarely. They're always slowly um, crawling over the, the outer parts of the canopy of, of mostly the ohia trees. And Lisa and I were talking before, and we also thought it was interesting how not only are bills or the nuku important to the birds, but they've also, there's a lot of other animals have been named after the bills of the bird as well, like fish, for example. I guess one of the most popular examples would be the humu humu nuku nuku apua, right? Mm -hmm. It's that trigger fish that has the the nose like a pig, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. so we see it in that name too. And then there's the long-nosed butterfly fish. Nuku nuku? La willy willy nuku nuku oi oi. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not pronouncing oh, it very well. <laughs> no, my oh, kind. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's the so la willy 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 would be the the leaf of the willy willy tree, and then it's it's nose. I don't know exactly what the translation would be, but it's called that's that's the name of it. So it's, it's named like after pointy, the pointy sharp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then there's a lot of place names named after the the nuku of birds mm -hmm. as well. What was the one in Hilo that we were yeah, talking about? Yeah, so um, most people on the island know this spot, but they might not know it by this name. And um, we're talking about um, Kanuku Okamanu, which is a small point right next to the Suisan Bridge mm -hmm. and Suisan Fish Market, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. in that area of P.O.P.O. P.O. we see um, the Nuku in this place named yeah, very which beautiful. We could learn a little bit more if you go back to Loke Brandt's episode. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, so um, the group that Pat and I are a part of, Ahui Manu, we've been um, so fortunate to have been able to um, create and, and kind of dream about our Manu in, in a lot of different ways and recording those ideas in different forms. And one of the forms is in this beautiful mele called Okaleleane Aona. And um, the, the structure of this mele is modeled after um, Kumulipo in a lot of ways, um, trying to make associations between um, our, the ocean scapes and our landscapes and, and creatures um, from those places and kind of calling out some of the traits that are most notable um, um, and, and shared. And the pairings are, are meant to help to um, give, a, a, I guess we're saying, a pulse of vitality and to kind of support and anchor in, in security and this hope of abundance. Um, those those um, friends who might not be doing as well and struggling um, with one who is, right? So we're kind of like joining them together to um, uplift and support um, each other and the abundance of of all the things that we're we're talking about. So um, in this in this melee, um, there is a section a, a poku that talks about Palila, and it talks about the journey of Palila from um, the our older islands of Kauai, and then um, the movement of of Palila from Kauai to Oahu, and then ultimately to Hawaii Island. And um, it's it's really a beautiful uh, kind of poetic nod to the 
the journey of Palila, not only the bird, but also um, the figure and the man, Palila, and um, some of the um, wonderful successes that he had in in conquest and in in moving across across the islands, and um, it also calls out the associations between Palila and Mamane, and also um, a secondary um, food tree, which is Nile, that mm. also grows up in the forest, Mauna Kea. Beautiful. Yeah. Huaka'i o palila mai koa'i, ai oahu mai oahu ai moloka'i, ha'alele ya kalayo kala'au, ai lana'i ya lele'i maui nui, huli akula kona nuku ya lono nui akia, yuka i ka'avali'i, o lupea he kumuhao ke kahu no palila, kia'i kala'ipala no hoikai, Ola maulo ikanayo ameka mamane noho yuka. Okapa lila auna lelea paa paa hia. Mahalo nui. And then we gotta have some kanimanu too, right? <laughs> yeah, who should we kanimanu? We'll do the palila. <laughs> Just make it all about palila. <laughs> <laughs> we always talk about how the birds are often named. One reason why the birds have their names is that's what they sound like. They're named after their sounds. And so I don't know if Palila, Palila is one of those or not. They do have a call that sounds a little bit like Palila, Palila, Palila. <laughs> if you use your imagination. <laughs> no, it totally sounds like Palila. <laughs> it does. I agree. And then the EEV, you know, or or I mean, you can get EEV out of that, I guess, if you use your imagination. Um, elipayo. 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 Um, they're not a honey creeper, but uh, another, you know, the uwa'u. We always like to do the uwa'u because they sound exactly like what their name is. Uwa'u. 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 Kiwi Q has a, a cute call. Uh, it doesn't sound like its name, or at least one of the call I'm talking about doesn't sound like its name, but it, mm. it goes, uh, chewy, chewy, chewy. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, mahalo for sharing the bird sound so that we'd be a little bit more familiar should we be in yeah. their vicinity at some point, hopefully. And we can practice later know. too. <laughs> yes, we expect everyone to practice. Uh, homework. We've got homework. <laughs> yes. Seems like we should participate in their language as well as our own. I you know? agree. If our listeners want to learn more about some of the manu that you folks have mentioned today, or mm. maybe even go to places where they can, um, in an appropriate way, observe these manu, um, do you folks, or maybe do something to actually you know, help to conserve them, protect them, honor them, celebrate them. Do you folks have any suggestions about you know, specific places or resources that our listeners could to, could access? Well, Lisa did mention a couple places already. So we are very lucky here on the Big Island. There's so many places near our campus here. If you drive up Saddle Road, you can go to the Kaulana Manu Nature Trail and you can see Eevee readily. It's a short, beautiful walk through a native rainforest and all around you can be Eevee, Apapane, Amakihi, Elepayo, and Oma'o. Five mm -hmm. species, only 20 miles up the road, which it's, you know, it's, 
it's very unusual. So it's a very, yeah, special spot there. And then further up that road, we have what's called the Pu'u'o'o Trail, which you can hike out on and you can see all of those same birds and also the Akiapolao. You might have a chance to see in the Koa Forest there. Uh, we have Hakalau, which Hakalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge, which is, as I mentioned, right above campus. It's closed to the public, but you can either volunteer up there and plant koa or other plants, or you can go on the, they have a, every year, usually they have an open house for the public to go visit. And then of course we, we have the, you know, the park up there on Kilauea, the national park. To go visit Apapane uh, and Amakihi, mm -hmm. can't forget about those guys. Yeah. Exactly. And perhaps some, if you have social media resources or websites that might be helpful to our listeners. Well, there is the, there is the Manu Minute, <laughs> which is on Hawaii Public Radio. And so you can go to either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And there's, I think, 62 short episodes if you have an extra two to three minutes in your day. And you can go and uh, that's... Um, narrated by me, and it's a it's a, a group effort for sure between me and, and the lab, my lab at UH Hilo, including Anne Tanimoto Johnson, and then also the folks at HPR. Mahalo. Um, and if you want to go and see Palila, uh, you are able to, um, and uh, the forest that they live in are on public land. It is open. You can go up to the other side of Mauna Kea on the west side in the Kaohe area. And um, uh, in the Kilohana area, you drive up uh, the, the road there and you keep driving until you hit the Palila Discovery Trail. And if you want more information at the, the Palila Discovery Trail, you can go online and you can check out the Mauna Kea Forest Restoration Project um, webpage. And um, mm. they have a really nice guided um, hike within the enclosure there. And I'm, I'm sure you will see one. <laughs> if you call wow. out to them, they'll probably come and see you. Thank you for teaching us how to That's call out to them. <laughs> Mahalo nui. We really enjoyed our time with you folks and learned a lot about a lot of different birds and their superpower, which is their nuku or their beak. Mm -hmm. And some of those pretty interesting associations that you folks have shared and personal experiences. So, so we're really grateful. Um, thanks for being here. Yeah. Oh, mahalo. This is so fun. Yeah, mahalo, everyone. It has been fun. Thank you. <laughs> mahalo. Mahalo nui to both of our meakipa, Patrick Hart and Lisa Kopono Mason. Their knowledge of our Manu friends is so extensive and so deep, and birds' beaks definitely qualify as a superpower. Yes, we learned about different nuku types and their functions in bird activities such as food gathering, pollination, and preening. Also, how the nuku have evolved alongside the food sources of the birds in shape and size. So true. To learn more about our Manu friends, you can follow at birds underscore Hawaii underscore past present on Instagram or birds of Hawaii, the past and the present on Facebook. Also, don't forget to check out our blog at hilo.hawaii.edu slash uluau and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, ahui ho. Aloha. Aloha.